now to growing concerns about you must stay at home. Total cases in the U.S. now top 8.4 million. The new variant of coronavirus is out of control. I hate you, 2020! Well, that was a pile of crap, I know. However, we did see some amazing tech companies emerge from the crisis. And this podcast is me going around the world talking to founders of these companies. And some of these founder stories are absolutely amazing and can't wait to share them with you. So, from San Francisco to Sydney, my name's Ben Kenwright, introducing the 2020 Entrepreneurs Club podcast. Okay, so welcome back to our incubator special. We are just taking a trip over to sunny Oslo now to meet a chap by the name of Snorri Jordan Meyer, who is the CEO and co-founder at Place. So, another really, really interesting incubator story coming up. Snorri is going to talk to us about joining an incubator after having a distinguished career in big corporate tech like Accenture. He lived in a few places. He's going to tell us how he ran an underground bar at one point. Essential pre-incubator experience, obviously. And he's going to tell us about getting placed together. So the incubator story is similar. I mean, it's a set model. It's a proven model. And it's a model that's hugely successful. It's people coming together without too much of a preconceived idea as to what they want to do meeting like-minded entrepreneurs and raising some money getting the concept off the ground but each and every entrepreneurship story especially on the 2020 entrepreneurs podcast is unique and this is an excellent brand it's a prop tech company launching at a time when prop was absolutely on its head so snorri is going to be telling us about that specific story you know pulling together this prop tech company that's all about using retail space in a more intelligent way and then what happens we're in a lockdown and no retailers can open so fascinating insight into a brand that's very cool but also fascinating insight into the incubator story itself so without further ado welcoming Snorri Jordan Meyer of Place. Hi Snorri welcome. Thank you Ben. How are you today? <laughs> Great excellent <laughs> nice to see you. Yeah. Good to see you and where are you in the world? Uh, I'm uh, in Oslo. Uh, where it's been uh, quite rainy the past couple of days after a month and a half of minus 10 to minus 15. So it feels like spring has arrived too early. Oh, wow. Something strange happened today in the UK. Yeah, what happened? The sun came out. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I went for a walk in it. How are things on your side then? Feel well? Well, it's okay. It's okay. Well, in England, we had some announcements yesterday that we have this roadmap out of lockdown. So today is the 23rd of February. For, uh, for those listening later on. And so everyone's a little bit optimistic today and, and the sun's out and uh, yeah, it's okay. I think you can directly see this reflect with like meeting requests and, and demos coming in for us anyway, because once there is some kind of almost tangible route out of the crisis, uh, people's confidence goes back up, businesses start hiring again, which impacts us well. So hopefully that's the start of, of things to come. And yes, it'd be great to start our conversation today. It's talking about place and, and not me in England. So tell us um, a bit about the concept and then we can dig down into where it all began. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's nice to hear that uh, this excites you and uh, it might be exciting for your uh, listeners as well. Uh, but uh, just to give it a brief elevator pitch about uh, Place is that we have a matching platform bringing together retail properties and retail tenants. Uh, so basically what you see on the first floor uh, of a street, 
typically restaurants and bars and, and shops. And uh, then we utilize quite big uh, data sets in order to give them uh, these different actors better decision support. That's uh, our concept in a nutshell. Okay. Um, how would you describe it in terms of tech? Would this be a, a retail tech? Uh, yeah, we've been uh, shipping more like uh, prop tech. Prop tech, okay. So prop tech is one side of technology that has been challenged to, to give it a brief understatement. And you are a 2020 entrepreneur. So let's wind back to the start of 2020. Um, tell us a bit more about how this idea was originally being cooked up, the incubator and so on. Yeah, so um, my, as for myself, I joined the Anchor in their first cohort in Oslo uh, last January. And Anchor, they're already active uh, in, in London and Singapore and uh, a bunch of other cities around the world. And where they differentiate themselves is that they recruit a bunch of people who are hungry and are interested in starting their own company. And then they look at uh, like having a set of complementary people in a program. We were 60 people starting, which is a bit different from the typical tech stars and white combinators that usually invest in in companies that have already been established. Uh, so you can consider it as almost like a mini MBA in like three months where at the end you end up with a business plan that you pitch to um, an international investment committee. So when I started there in, in January, um, I knew of like a handful of those 60 people, but most of them were, were just well, new acquaintances to me. And it was super exciting. And most of them were from all around the world. There were 22 different nationalities uh, together. And we're all, this was pre-corona, so we're all drinking beer and uh, enjoying ourselves and trying to uh, network as much as possible. Because the whole aim of it was to both find a business idea, uh, or first like a challenge you could solve with a business idea, and then some co-founders, and they should be complementary. So this is where the, the whole idea of uh, and of uh, place started. When uh, I can also give you a bit of background by myself, because I've uh, I've been living in London, I've been living in many of these big cities around the world, and. I really enjoy walking around in, in cool neighborhoods and kind of uh, sucking up on the, the atmosphere almost and try to understand like why what makes this neighborhood nicer than another one. And what I've been noticing in, in Oslo is that there's a lot of empty retail space even there before uh, COVID. And uh, looking at these retail spaces, also a lot of them were filled with like a bunch of kebab shops and so on. I was like, why would you open a free kebab shops uh, in a row? So uh, I started to think about like, how do you actually fill up these retail spaces? What, what shapes the retail selection in an area? And uh, then I ended up uh, starting working with uh, Tobias, which is one of the co-founders and, and Peter, uh, who's a CTO. And uh, uh, we all started looking into this uh, this area and seeing like why uh, why do we end up in the streets that we have? And we uh, did the more design thinking kind of uh, approach where we went out and uh, interviewed about fifty different uh, companies and, and people. So everything from uh, the small uh, food stall vendors uh, to the large uh, retail chains, and then uh, a lot of comp uh, brokerage companies as well as uh, real estate companies and some data uh, suppliers as well. And we tried to just understand their main pain points. And then we realized, I mean, there's a significant potential in making this like tiny part of the uh, commercial real estate uh, uh, industry will be working a bit more efficiently. So we then started working on uh, on the business plan and uh, pitched that in the end of March last year. And uh, then we got funding. Uh, everyone was excited. We got seven out of seven votes on the committee. And then we started up uh, the place in the beginning of April last year. 
long answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no that's great. A very significant moment in time as well. But to rewind again, can you answer the age-old question of why there are three kebab shops next door to each other? <laughs> no, I'm guessing that there must be a pub next to it as well. So we have a lot of drug people coming out of the pub and they're craving uh, kebabs. But uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, we haven't solved it yet. We are. Do, I mean, one of the things we are looking at now because we have a big analysis component of our platform is uh, how uh, you know the complementary. Uh, types of uh, tenants in an area and the ones that are more cannibalizing each other. So it might be that the kebabs actually are, uh, well, you get uh, more customers attracted if you are a bunch of kebab places in the same area. Who knows? Well, I think that is, there's the truth in, in that because I remember watching a food program at some point which I can't name because I can't quite remember what it is. So this fact might not be that factual, but I'm sure that I remember watching something to do with food and there was a strip um, you know, one main restaurant street in the city. And these guys said, well, we open our restaurants here because people come to this street when they're hungry and they will settle on one of these restaurants. Once they get there, they decide what they want to eat. Uh, so I think it does make sense sometimes to be nearer your competition. Uh, but at the same time, they, they could be cannibalizing it quite easily, cannibalizing their own business or each other's quite easily. So uh, it'd be interesting to see a brand like yours throwing more analytics and data at that to really understand the consumer behavior and why they're potentially more successful or less successful because of it. And also you mentioned the complimentary stuff, which would be good to dig down further into. But before we do that, so you've um, joined the Incubator Antler. At that point, are you kind of pre-armed with this idea cooking in, in, in your head? Because Antler is there for two types of entrepreneurs, right? It's the ones that know that they're very capable and want to start a business and needs to find some other co-founders to collaborate with and will eventually become actual co-founders. And then there's the guys that kind of know what they're about to do, but you know, need the people and the guidance. Are you falling into that latter category at this point? Well, a bit of a hybrid, I believe, because I had a bunch of ideas. I had like 20 different ideas with me uh, going into Antler. And uh, a part of what I wanted with Antler was to both validate if any of those ideas were realistic, if they were big enough to, to get funding, and then also to find the right co-founder to start any of these ideas with. Uh, so uh, I think the first uh, thing to mention about the Antler program in, in Norway is that they had some industry uh, verticals, which was the first time they did that across the, all the different uh, locations they have. Uh, and one of them was property. So uh, and the other one was mobility and then energy. And I quite uh, early started looking into the property part because I'm a big fan of city development and, and so on. So most of those ideas I had with me were related to, to PropTech. And uh, then somehow when it came out with this idea, it ended up consisting a lot of, with, uh, of a lot of the other ideas kind of falling into this overall overarching idea. So I would say it's, it's a bit of a hybrid. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. So do you need to have a rough idea of where you want to go? And there are several ideas that could come out of the one bigger overarching rough idea. Or could you potentially go into Antler armed with five completely different concepts in mind and start discussing those and then eventually settle on the best one. Reason I ask, I always used to keep a book of my madcap ideas, which generally is like an iPhone note. I wake up at 3 a.m. and I'm like, I've got an idea and I'll put it in. And if you read them now, there's probably some good ones in there and I'd like to think that Bub is one of those. Uh, but if you read them back now, some of them are completely insane. <laughs> but, you know, some of them did have legs. So if I were an entrepreneur 
who wanted to dedicate myself to an incubator, could I turn up with five or six ideas that are completely random and scattered, or, or do I need to have some kind of cohesion between those ideas? Uh, you can go there without any ideas, at least with Antler, or you can go them with a bunch of ideas that are completely scattered. Uh, yeah. This is fascinating. <laughs> I know it is. What's the success rate of, of an entrepreneur going into Antler? What I mean by success rate is actually finding a, a, a co-founder and raising some funding to get the idea off the ground. Um, I think this differs a bit between the locations, but what they were telling us is that there were 800 applicants uh, for the program, and we were 60 that were uh, selected. And then out of these 60, we ended up having eight companies that were funded, so about 20 people. That's very interesting stats. Okay, so you're one of the successful ones, prop tech. Your background is understanding how cities are developed and consumer behavior amongst retailers. And then February, March time, this weird thing starts coming out of Asia. Countries are starting to lock down. Obviously, the first thing is to go with a retail establishment as well, hospitality first, and then other retail shops starting to follow afterwards. What's your initial thoughts when you can see this thing appearing on the news every day and you've just got the, the, few, uh, the few dollars in the bank and you're ready to spend it? Well, first of all, uh, the first thought was, uh, well, how is this going to impact all the nice bars and restaurants and shops that I really love uh, going to in, in Oslo? Because you see that well, social distancing is uh, not going to be kind to them. So that's the initial thought, just from a personal uh, level. But then on the business side, we were thinking, oh, this is actually a massive opportunity. And uh, we started uh, looking into what the impact of this would be even before we had that investment committee meeting with the, the entry investment committee. And um, the way we were pitching it, it was basically that uh, there's going to be much more disruption in, uh, in retail and, uh, and um, hospitality going forward. And uh, increased risk uh, means an increased need for our uh, platform and our tool. And also there's going to be a lot of vacant uh, shop uh, space or retail space, which uh, we will have a solution for. And that's actually, it's actually been playing out quite well up until now. And uh, also the good thing about this is that uh, well, government has been quite generous in this uh, time period as well. So the amount of soft funding available has just been uh, well, amazing. And we secured some soft funding from the Norwegian government quite early on after uh, getting uh, the initial funding from Antler. And also, subsequently, we've gotten quite a lot of uh, funding from the Norwegian state as well as from investors because, I mean, it was a big stock, you know, the, the, how the, the stocks were falling uh, in the spring last year. But then that picked up and now it's, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of money in circulation and also a lot of talent has become available. So, I mean, in general, uh, everything has kind of played out the way we, we thought it would play out in mid-March. So the opposite of a derailment at that point, you've got, when did products start going into development last year? It started going into development, uh, well, the, the actual coding started in July last year. And then uh, we spent from well, beginning of April till June just designing uh, and figuring out what would be in the MVP. And we did that together with our customers. Uh, so it was a big like, design thinking driven process uh, there. And where are you at the moment on that? How long has that MVP been in play? And where are you in terms of the revenue generating? 
the MVP was ready in end of October. And then what we did before that was uh, sell this uh, idea of a pilot participation uh, scheme uh, to all, most of the companies we were already working for uh, and saying that, I mean, if you pay a bit of money, you'll get a, a, a partnership uh, with us and you're part of the, the pilot uh, where you basically get to test our our platform and give feedback on improvements and prioritize new functionality. And then we'll also throw in a few of more manual uh, analysis uh, projects uh, for you where we look into the data sets we have and then we use that for prioritizing what type of analysis would be um, included in the platform automatically. And we were quite successful with selling that. We generated about $20,000 uh, worth of non-recurring revenue from it. And as of now, uh, since we have a two-sided model where the tenants are not paying, but the property companies are, uh, we end up having uh, 16 uh, different companies participating in this pilot. And then what we're working on now, since the past three months, we've been working on just gathering a lot of customer feedback on this, uh, doing user testing and so on, having workshops with them. And then uh, we are working on getting this ready for like, the full market in about a month's time. So end of March is the deadline we've kind of set for ourselves. Exciting times ahead. So breaking this down on a basic level, the ones entering the pilot scheme, I presume a, a prospective client for you is a retailer, right? So I'm a retailer. Let's say I've been hit quite badly by COVID. Uh, when you say retailer, are we talking to the actual person running that shop, that business operation? We're we talking about the landlord. Oh, when I talk about a retailer, it's the person running the shop. But it's uh, most of the companies who've been interested in this are more mid-tier. So typically a restaurant uh, that has 10, 20, 30 locations, and they're always in expansion mode, uh, all the way up to uh, large retail chains that have like hundreds of grocery stores or, uh, or the likes like the Tesco's and so on. I see. So there's two parts of this. If I'm a retailer who's been hit particularly hard by COVID, are you essentially able to help me shift some of the locations that aren't viable anymore? We are uh, able to help you understand uh, which um, locations are underperforming and which ones you should uh, keep. So that's one part of it on the data part. Um, but um, we're going to help you if you are among the winners of Rev. Corona, because there are a lot of retailers who've actually increased their revenues quite significantly because of uh, more domestic spending and so on. Uh, then I think it's easier to help them expand in this climate and the coming climate rather than help them uh, close down their stores. Yeah. Sure, there are loads of winners of coronavirus and very interesting time of year when you're you know fully able to go to market. Hopefully, it's a time of year when things are starting to recover. Uh, as we hope they will with the vaccines being rolled out and the warmer weather. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see how some of the retailers who've been badly affected start to bounce back uh, and how those retailers that have thrived continue to thrive or um, possibly start to plateau. Uh, so what's next? We've got the big go-to-market plan. Uh, are you guys entering into further funding rounds this year? Yeah, so we uh, finalized the funding round in uh, end of October uh, last year. So we have about a million US uh, now in our accounts, uh, and that will keep us going for about a year. But uh, the plan is still to to raise uh, a new round is over the summer or in this fall, uh, typically from Scandinavian VCs, where we all raise a larger seed round uh, and then use that to finance uh, an international expansion. So we are 
having our eyes on on the London market or UK market uh, as one of the alternatives or a German market because what we see is that there are uh, like a bit of a set of costs for uh, we have like a bunch of data suppliers and there's a bit of set of costs for each market so it's better to go to a large ones where where you can capitalize on the work you do on the data side rather than going to Sweden and or Denmark which are larger than the Norwegian market but still I mean not all that large uh, big compared to the effort that you have to make in order to penetrate those markets. I hate to mention the B word on the podcast, and I don't think we've actually brought it up just yet. But uh, hey, the reality is, if you are about to pick between London and Berlin, let's say, um, has the Brexit situation put a spanner in those works, or are you also seeing an opportunity in that bucket of crap that is Brexit? <laughs> well, uh, we haven't really. Uh... Uh, done the analysis on how that impacts us. But I think it would probably be good to be within the EU, so that could uh, point us more towards Germany than the UK. The good, the reason for uh, going to the UK is because then we would have, we do our, have our platform and everything in English already, but to, just to get that Anglo-Saxon verification uh, before we go to the UK, uh, US, I mean, uh, could be uh, strategically important. Yeah. Something I never really thought of when it comes to expanding into different territories i've only ever worked for startups that were launching in the uk from australia and the us and that was my job first boots on the ground to launch them in the uk and i tell you there are, there are language challenges from either territories way more similar to with australia to uk uh, but even then there are certain uh, nuances in conversation that need to be changed you know even down to localization of postcodes versus zip codes and so on uh, but the uk versus the us i tell you like considering they're both english sometimes they're completely different languages <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> uh, when, you, when you start getting into the terminology especially but uh, hey that's a conversation for another day so um right now headquartered in oslo i have to say i don't know if this is appropriate for us to have this conversation we'll definitely talk about it more over a beer one day but i've only been to oslo once and it was because we went out for after work beers on a thursday and um we got drunk and flew to oslo with, with with no hotel or, or, or any plan, but Norwegian people were so nice that we were very well accommodated for for the next two days whilst we try to figure out how to get home. So, but next time I'm there, I'll, I'll plan it and and not be drunk before I meet you. We, we could potentially do that together. You're definitely welcome to come visit. Uh, I can host you as well. So, yes, and hopefully, definitely. I mean, it would be nice if you come after uh, COVID nineteen, so we can go out for some beers. Otherwise, it will be a bit boring now. <laughs> no, 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 we're, we're definitely meant to happen. So for now, um, you're Oslo headquartered. You're growing the team in Oslo? Uh, yeah, we are. So we are currently hiring five people now, but we are looking for people mostly uh, with a bit of an international background. And how many is in the team so far? Uh, we are five people full-time here uh, at the office, but then we have uh, interns and also external freelancers, especially on tech. So with, uh, with those, there's 13 people on the team. So, again, winding back to being in the incubator, I mean, the whole idea of the incubator is very collaborative. You guys are always meeting up. As you said, you're going for beers in the evening. You're getting to know your co-founders, well, would-be co-founders. You're getting to know the other people within the incubator. All of a sudden, the shift has uh, turned to remote working. But you're starting that business as a remote company, having been used to such a collaborative, people-led environment. How's it been growing the team growing investor relations and maintaining that kind of incubator spirit while shifting onto Zoom calls? 
Uh, that's a good question. First of all, um, the shutdown here in also the March 12th, and we had uh, the investment committee at the end of, of March. So basically, those two weeks that we uh, got before the investment committee, it was it was quite nice to have our social life shut down <laughs> because all I both Tobias uh, and Peter, my two co-founders, and I were hyper social people who are out uh, meeting people every night and every weekend. So having forced to just spend all the time in the apartment uh, made us able to uh, stop all the meetings we had and just focus on that business plan. So I would say that at that point, it was quite good. And then uh, you wake up uh, in April and we had the investment and we were supposed to roll up our sleeves and start working on just incorporating the company and start hiring and, and all do all the stuff we had put in the business plan. And uh, then uh, it was kind of like a motivational wall that hit us because we wanted to get together and like sit in the meeting rooms and draw on the whiteboards and be super excited about everything we wanted to do. So it took us about two weeks or so where we were just well, trying to like grind through with all the paperwork of starting your own business. And then at one point we were like, screw it. We have to, I'm sorry, pardon my language. We have to <laughs> just uh, go to the office and be together. And actually most of the other anchor companies did that as well. And the office building was open. So from mid April or end of April, it really, we were just at the office. And uh, yeah, we've had some time periods where uh, the government has issued like a new curf not curfews, but uh, new, new lockdowns. And we've been back to home office a bit, but most of the time we've been in the office. And uh, just on the investor part as well, uh, it's actually been super efficient having a lot of online meetings. So it makes us able to go through 10 investor meetings in a day rather than uh, being able having to go out and actually meeting all the investors physically. So I think it's worked quite well. Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It is the running theme of the podcast that whenever the conversation is around investor relations, the main thing is, well, it's very efficient. Because usually, you know, investment is kind of a sensitive thing. Someone is giving away cash. Someone is taking that cash and giving away some ownership of that company. And it's almost emotional, right? So therefore, it's the way it's always been done is you go and shake hands and you look each other in the eye. And even if you're, if you've got a 30-minute meeting with an investor, you're traipsing across town to actually do that meeting face-to-face. Uh, which doesn't always make sense if you're a startup because you're trying to do the job of 10 people anyway. Uh, so, so yeah, the massive silver line in it going online. Also one part with with the collaborative aspect of trying to grow a business and lockdowns. I mean, no humans are really designed to work on Zoom all of the time and never see each other again. But thinking of it, this is especially Scandinavians. I don't actually know how any of Scandinavia copes without... Um, yeah, the meetups, the pints, and that game where you hit the nail into the woods that I can never quite do because I'm not sure why it mixes with beer. But yeah, hey, and at least it won't be too much longer before it's uh, it's safe to to do it all again. So we've grown the team. You, you've you're being scrappy anyway. You're kind of going in and out of lockdown situations, um, and you, you've got the MVP to market. What? were the challenges that COVID threw up along that way? You're embracing a lot of what, uh, embracing a lot of the disruption that COVID brought and you're capitalizing on that. You're being very clever entrepreneurs, but inevitably there's always going to be some challenges when the status quo is interrupted. What were your biggest hurdles that you had to overcome? Well, in the beginning, it was more about how COVID was going to play out for our clients. So some of the clients that we, um, 
tried to onboard in the very beginning of uh, like shaping the product, um, they were super stressed because they had the requests coming in from the, their tenants all the time where they had to well, fight a, a lot of fires in terms of uh, you know uh, renegotiating uh, leases uh, and so on. So that was in the beginning a, a bit of like a hurdle trying to get them to to join us uh, in the, in shaping up the uh, the actual product. Uh, but uh, in the end, they end up uh, prioritizing it. So we did. Uh, we were able to have before summer we had three product development workshops uh, where our clients were with us. Of course, we were, had safe distances and all that, and then the numbers were quite low on the uh, on the virus side. Um, so that's that was one point. Uh, and then then just in general, the uncertainty it brought with it. With it. So we, we were quite. Um, should I say, uh, not offensive, but we were quite ambitious with our plans, especially the ones that we laid out in the investor deck when we pitched uh, investors in, in October. And uh, COVID has brought in a bit of uncertainty because we want to launch kind of gradually as uh, um, COVID was uh, was losing its uh, its tight uh, to the whole grip on, on society. And that's just been extending with, uh, with new waves of viruses and the UK mutant coming in and, and so on. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but on the, on the other hand, uh, a bit of extra time to work on the product hasn't really been a problem for us. So I think in general, um, it's played out quite well. Okay. So as I do like to rewind, let's take a step back um, before you'd ever set eyes on Antler and before Place came about. Uh, tell us a bit about your background, your, your career so far and um, kind of how you've developed as, uh, as, as a tech-minded entrepreneur and what parts of your experience are very relevant in the building of Place. Um, <laughs> one first experience to <laughs> kind of bring up is that uh, I started my own bar in the basement of my parents' house when I was uh, 16, 17. I was basically running a business there, but I got uh, some um, you know older brothers or friends of mine going to uh, the booze store and picking up booze so I could uh, mix cocktails and all that. And I had these nice spreadsheets where I had all the inventory. I was looking at my margins and uh, it was a big party central. Uh, so I, I quite early on got a taste of uh, <laughs> hospitality industry uh, and that kind of combined with my interest for architecture and, uh, and city development and I think laid the, the early foundations for, for place uh, in a way. Uh, so that's one, one part. And then I've also been always been traveling quite a lot. So I've been spending about a year backpacking around the world and studying in five different cities around the world in Seattle and, and Florida and Singapore and UK and, and so on. And uh, uh, so that's, I think, that international aspect of, of, of it all. Uh, also, also being kind of on the outskirts of Europe, you know, everything kind of comes to Oslo a bit later than everywhere else. The startup scene blossomed here like 10 years after London. The, the food scene blossomed here 10 years after London uh, and, and so on. So just having that international just experience and perspective with me, I think has shaped me quite a lot. And then uh, in terms of my professional um, experience, I started working for Accenture and their strategy division just after graduating from London. Uh, I have a business and uh, economics policy uh, background. Uh, and uh, there, I mean, all you do is projects. Uh, 
work. You always work on projects and you're always trying to sell either like a project or a vision to, to stakeholders. So that's kind of been with me the whole time, how, how you shape and simplify things and, and then sell the, that vision all the time. And then I started uh, in one of the biggest grocery retail chains in, in Norway after Accenture. Spent about four years there in a, or a business development project management uh, position, uh, doing everything from these you know high-level strategy, 2025, where are we, ambition uh, projects, down to um, some new innovation projects and so on, and also quite a bit of uh, analysis and cost uh, efficiency kind of uh, projects. So, uh, and just to like sum it all up like i've always wanted to start a company like ever since i had that bar experience so everything i've done has been a bit of like getting the right experience so that i could fill up my the toolbox with all the right tools so i could get ready to start a, a company and i think that's that was the most rewarding part of being uh like a part of anter and seeing how like creating the business plan and 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 coming up with uh, with should i say what is now place uh, I was able to utilize uh, my, uh, say, tools in, uh, uh, with me, and uh, as well as the, the complementary tools that Tobias and Peter, uh, my co-founders, brought with them, and see how together we were able to well, first get funding, and then after that, actually build a company with our complementary assets. So that's a long answer to your questions, but <laughs> you can see if you can, if it makes sense. That was a great answer, and my most important question is: What was the name of the bar? <laughs> it's, uh, it was named after the house, which was Munkibotten. Munkibotten. <laughs> Munkibotten. Okay, I'm not going to try and say that again. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was before uh, Facebook and all that. So I mean, we even had a, a guest book section where people were writing, you know, comments and stuff after all the parties and co- and posting pictures. So that was basically the the mini Facebook of my group of friends before Facebook. That's brilliant. Do you think you'll do it again? Do you think there'll be a, a, a monkey button? Did I say it? Monkey button. Monkey button bar. Can I visit the monkey button bar when it reopens? Yeah. I'd definitely like to open my own bar at some point. <laughs> uh, well, you're certainly in the, in the right gig. So tell us about your co-founders. How did you guys meet and, and how did this dynamic form within Antler? Um, yeah, so that's, uh, I mean, with Anter is basically a big speed dating uh, type of process. Uh, so the way the Anter facilitates us um, testing out different co-founders is that they run all these, uh, should I say, design sprints, as they call them, uh, together with some of the industry partners that they have with them. Uh, and then for the, let the industry partners come up with a, an area where they have challenges and then uh, they we are put together and not set together in, in teams where uh, we get 24 hours to basically come up with a business idea. And um, in that process, you really see how you interact and how you how efficiently you work with different uh, people. It's a great way of evaluating whether or not you can see anyone being a potential co-founder. So through this process, uh, I met up with uh, a guy that was uh, from South Africa, Johan, and uh, uh, we quite early on uh, saw the potential for working together. And we basically came up with a list of all the people in the program. We started finding out like uh, which ones of these could we, we work with. And uh, at some point, Johan and I actually found out that we were not all that great together after all. We wanted to pursue different uh, topics, but those the two guys who were left on my list was Tobias and and, and Peter. Uh, 
And one of one part of it, of course, was the personality part. We really got along well, extremely well, and then we were really complementary when it came to the skill set. And what we really noticed as well in mid February last year, when we the three of us started working together, was that we were extremely uh, efficient because we had a lot in common and had a complementary skill set. And that's something that's been proven after we got the investment as well. That uh, it's just been extremely efficient to to work with them and a lot of of fun and we've also been able to attract a lot of super uh, brilliant people on the team because i think of that team atmosphere that we we've been able to create yeah and it's a very cool brand i like the name i'm surprised you got it to be honest i'm surprised you managed to get a decent uh, url on it uh, but it's a, it's a cool brand it's a cool name and somehow it Coming out of Scandinavia adds a bit of charm to it. You can just see this rolling into other European cities quite uh, seamlessly. And I do hope it's London first. Um, but hey, if it's Berlin, I'll, I'll just have to go and uh, check out that city to see how some of your customers are getting along on the ground. Uh, so what's the next few years have in store for, for Place? Obviously, dependent on market conditions. But generally, as the plan sits now, what's the next 12 to 24 months got? Well, first of all, uh, we want to meet you. So I think uh, we've probably now already decided that will be London next. So uh, we can Absolutely. go to the pub with, uh, with Ben and hear more about your experience and uh, how this podcast ride is, uh, is uh, faring with you. It's good. I don't get much sleep, but it, it's, it's good so far, Snorri. <laughs> Great to hear. Uh, but other than that, I mean, the rapid expansion. Um, so in, in two years' time, we should be in at least a handful, maybe two handfuls of markets uh, having good success and, of course, having grown the, the team, uh, having uh, reached uh, our nice uh, revenue and funding goals and uh, well, having a lot of fun. We do have some like nice visions, though, for, I, mean, I can go into I mean, one of the, the visions that we have, because we have this, uh, we really want to be the ones helping the small shop owners as well. Because when we are talking now, a lot of the ones that utilize the data the most or are most interested in that are the like, mid segments and the, the large segments. But uh, we think that those independent uh, tenants, so the ones starting their own bars, starting their own restaurant and so on, are the ones uh, we really also want to, to work with. So one of the visions that we have is that we'll get uh, our office, we'll have a first floor a retail space and then we could have a space there that we uh, rent out the different concepts so that they could test out their concepts and uh, get their market validation before they move into their actual space and that would be super nice for us as well because then we would have a nice social uh, part of our office where we can go out eat our lunch and uh, have all our office parties and then go up and work in the uh, in the office it's just uh, on the second and third floor so that's uh, the number one just a vision in terms of culture creation having our own little uh, shop space <laughs> well it's clever that in a way you you become an incubator for would-be retail entrepreneurs and then convert them into customers um okay before we sign off tell us the dream we know where you're going we know that you're gonna have the first floor for retail spaces we know this brand is gonna take the world by storm but what's the dream what, what's the fundamental thing how is place changing the world our vision is to create vibrant streets and cities. So we want to be the neighbor of uh, having vibrant streets and cities. And what that means is just that well, wherever you go, that being London or New York or smaller cities like Bergen in Norway or 
the small town in in Spain, uh, you'll have all the restaurants and bars and shops that are according to your desires. So that it's the place where people are actually enjoying themselves and uh, where uh, the business owners are getting enough revenue and enough profit to uh, uh, well to survive and keep uh, providing their excellent services. I think it makes so much sense, especially in a world that is rapidly changing and will be completely different when things normalize. The magic has always been there on high streets. You've got the shop owners from the kebab shops to the high-end restaurants to those selling knickknacks and tourist gifts. There's the magic there because of the personalities. So you're not replacing that with technology. You're just helping those guys make better informed decisions about where to set up shop, basically. Uh, and and providing the visitors with with better analytics so they can in turn make better form decisions. So it's kind of just propping up the type of business that already has a lot of magic going on and just helping them to ensure they succeed. And it's something that's absolutely needed and I can definitely see it going from strength to strength. Well, thank you, Snorri. As our first guest from Norway, that was very insightful. Thank you so much for having me and uh, sharing our enthusiasm. Uh, I definitely can't wait to come over and and, uh, see Oslo once again. So looking forward to having you here with a beer soon. Definitely. (laughs) We shall look forward to that. But for now, thanks so much for being on the 2020 Entrepreneurs Podcast. Take care. Thanks, Snorri. Well, thanks so much to Snorri. Very enjoyable conversation. Very, very cool guy. Very, very cool brand. And really excited to get back over to Oslo to visit place. Nothing to do with the fun and the beers and all of that jazz that goes on in Norway, I promise. Definitely, definitely purely entrepreneurship conversations to be had. Incubators, I told you they were interesting. They really, really are interesting. And take a look on our LinkedIn. We're going to be putting out more posts with details of how you can get into incubators or accelerators, depending on where you're at in your entrepreneur journey. I am really happy with where I'm at with my startup, bub.io. I'm really happy with our founding team. I'm happy with the way we came together as well, people that knew each other through business. But I do think, had I known a few years ago when I was walking around with my little book of ideas or writing it down in my iPhone, had I known more about incubators and where to start, I think I would have joined one. I, I think I would have taken a different path. So it's kind of our duty on this podcast, knowing that it's all about celebrating those scrappy entrepreneurs that got businesses off the ground in 2020 but also being able to better inform the next wave of entrepreneurs of how and when you should be seeking vc funding and how and when you get yourself into an accelerator so do follow our pages we're going to become way more informative than just having interesting chats with amazing entrepreneurs join us this time next week for another 2020 entrepreneurship podcast we're getting back around the world can't tell you where it is yet but love to tune in find out and thanks again for listening